Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, we're carrying on just in these Sunday mornings with uh, this subject, sit still and see how the matter ends or how the matter uh, turns out. But if you would turn over to Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to read that one verse, verse 18. And then after we read that verse, we're going over into Romans chapter 8, a well-known verse. I would say everybody in this room probably knows this verse, Romans 8 and 28. So Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18, if you get there first, and then if you can get your finger in there to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And once you all get there, we'll stand for the reading of God's word, to honor his word, to honor the preaching of his word. And this morning we'll, we'll read Ruth chapter 3 verse 18. Hopefully everybody is there. Ruth 3 and verse 18. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you're all there. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Could we read it audibly all together? Ruth chapter 3, let us stand. Let us honor the word of God this morning. This is what this is about, to honor his word, to respect his word, and the preaching of his word. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18. Let us all audibly read it together. Then said she, sit still, my daughter, until I know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Then over in the Romans chapter 8, verse 28, there's that one verse. We should probably all know it by heart. Romans 8 and verse 28. Amen. If you're all there, let's all read it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And let's take our seats together this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, we've been following this story here in the book of Ruth, this wonderful book. And this morning we're just going to follow after Naomi as she's making her journey, her journey back home. You know, it tells us there in Ruth, if you go back into the book, uh, last week we looked at it in Ruth 1 and verse 6, that uh, Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. It was a time of a great famine, a great dearth in the land. They'd moved into the land of Moab, uh, Ruth, her husband, and her two sons. And we know the story just as we looked at it. It's a real story. It's a true story of, of tragedy, triumph, victory, tears, brokenness, separation. It's all found in this little book. And there's so many biblical principles and truths that we find in it. But here we know after Naomi had seen the death of her husband, had seen her two sons marry two ladies from the land of Moab, then uh, her two sons had passed away. And so there's three widows here and they're making their journey. Naomi's about to make her journey back because she's heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. You know, in life, everyone really is on a journey. Wherever you are this morning or whoever you are, whether you're saved or whether you're not saved, you have a journey, you have a life that's mapped out in front of you, all before you, perhaps, um, as we know, as the years go on, we have maybe less of that journey to walk. And maybe in the younger years, those that are younger among us, you're looking a whole life ahead of you, believing and looking for all those hopes, those dreams, those plans, those ambitions that we often have as young people. And as we walk in this life, where we'll go, who will marry, what, where we'll work, where we'll live, what type of house we have, all those decisions that come across in our life. 
But you know, often your outward journey is very different to your inward journey. And this was the case for Naomi. Her outward journey was completely different to the one that she came back with. And that's really important to know that this morning. Here we see a woman who left. She tells us she left full, but the Lord has brought her back again empty. We see that in this life of Naomi, she comes back again to Bethlehem, Judea. But she says, I'm coming back empty. You know, in her experience over those at least 10 years, famine had caused her to move from where they were as a family. And circumstances had came. They, 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 they didn't dictate the circumstances, but things happen in life. You know, it's the same for every one of us. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, things happen that are beyond our control. They take place in every home, in every family, in this room this morning. We'll experience that. We don't know what a day holds, but thank God we do know that he holds our todays and our tomorrows. And we see in this story that Naomi has gone out. She went out with her husband. She went out with two young sons. She went into a foreign land. The circumstances had dictated that she make that move. But she's coming back again as a widow woman. A woman who has lost her sons. A woman who has, seems to have lost everything. And she says, I went out. And when I went out, I was fooled all those years ago. Where we know it's at least 10 years that she's been away. But I went out and I went out full. I had everything. But now I'm coming back. And she says, I'm coming back empty. You know, it's so important to note this in, in our lives, in this walk of faith and, and, and how we live. You know, we look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Listen carefully. You know, he went out full. He went out full. His pockets were full. His ambitions were full. He was also full of pride, but we know he was going out with all his plans and purposes and what he was going to do in that life, but he came back completely empty. But thank God that God had a purpose and there was mercy for the prodigal son. And it was so important this morning, the decisions that are coming into our lives, even in the days that we're living. And especially, you know, I was Thinking back, it wasn't that long ago, but thinking back when you're sort of 15, 16, 17, those, those years for us all, we've all lived through those years, but there's a lot of things that come across our path, decisions that have to be made. They, they presented to you and often, you know, we, 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 we just didn't know what decision we're to make. You know, people say, what are you going to do when you grow up? And, I never really knew what I was going to do. I didn't have a clue. And you sit with a careers officer you've never met before and they say, what do you want to do when you get older? And I, I don't know what I want to do. And where do you want to go work experience? I don't know. What, what do you like? Oh, I like doing a bit of weightlifting. We'll send you to Mary Peter's health suite in Lisbon. That was it. Uh, but it never worked out that way. But that's the way things happen. You're just sent off because you don't really know what's hard. And it's great if you do know and, and, and have plans just for your life. But so often we have these decisions, life-changing decisions that we have to make that come across our path. The prodigal son, he made his choices. You know, he went out with his pockets full. He went out with the, with, with full of ideas and full of ambition, but he did come back empty. He came back broken. He came back ruined by the world. And friends, I want to tell you all these years later, the devil hasn't changed. He's still a liar and he's still a thief, but there's still mercy with God. There's still mercy at the cross. We see in this story here of Naomi and we see Orpah 
and we see Ruth, her two daughter-in-laws. This is just an amazing story. You know, often I don't really hear much of it, but very few people will ever preach in Orpah. We'll preach in Ruth and we'll preach in Naomi, but we'll not preach about Orpah. Orpah is mentioned twice, never again as she mentioned. You know, I want you to listen carefully because there was decisions were about to be made. There was decisions. These are crucial decisions. I, I do believe the Lord's going to speak to someone this morning. But they were about to make some great choices in their life. A decision that would alter their complete life and their destiny, as it were, their eternal destiny. We see here that there was a great love, a great bond between Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. But a separation was coming. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14. When, when Naomi speaks and, and shares with these ladies, these younger ladies. The Lord has visited my people. There's bread in Bethlehem, Judea. I'm about to go home because I need that bread. These two Moabite ladies are standing with Naomi. You can see that there's a bond because when, when, when she shares that she's about to leave and go home, in Ruth 1 and 14, it tells us that they lifted up their voice and they began to weep. You see that there's a bond between them. There, there's a love there. There's a respect. Naomi must have been a powerful woman of God. And so we see that there is a real sense of, of, of bond between them. And they're weeping and they're lifting their voices as this separation is coming. And look at Orpah. Orpah, it says, kissed her mother-in-law. And it says of Ruth that Ruth clave onto her. Orpah is about, listen, she's about to make a decision in her life. You know, I, I know the Lord is speaking to someone in this room very specifically this morning with these words. And I, I really believe that you need to listen and open your ears for just a few moments. Orpah was about to make a decision that was going to affect her destiny. It was going to separate her not just from Naomi, but it was going to separate her from the people of history, the people of faith throughout history. She was never going to be mentioned again. She was going back to her land, going back to the Moabites, going back to her gods. She loved Naomi. Listen, she loved Naomi. There was a love as a daughter-in-law to a, to a mother-in-law. There was a love between them. She kissed her. But Orpah was about to make a decision and there's someone in this room is about to make a choice, make a decision, even though there's a bond in the natural here with Naomi, but they were about to make a choice, but that would take them out of what history is all about. What is history all about? The only history that matters is not your Irish history or your British history or your American history. It's the history of faith. That's all that's going to be remembered in eternity. The people of faith throughout all the generations. A great cloud of witnesses of God's people. That's what's going to matter. Did you live for Jesus? Did you walk with him? Did you believe in him? Did you endure to the end? Were you saved? That's the biggest choice. And we see Orpah standing about to make a decision. Listen, I don't know whether it's a young person or an old person. But I know the Lord's speaking to someone. Orpah was about to make a choice. She was about to make her choice. 
on her path, on the way that she's going to live and what she's going to do. But this choice would decide and discern her whole destiny. There was a separation in the story. Choices in life's, life's journey determined so much. Orpa, Naomi was saying, Orpa, Ruth, listen. The Lord has visited his people, my people, the people of faith, God's chosen people. The gracious Lord has come and he's given us bread. I'm going back. And Orpah loved Naomi and Naomi loved Orpah. There was a love, there was a natural bond between them. But Orpah was about to make a choice. Listen carefully, friend, this morning. Listen, young person, older person. They were about to make a choice. She was about to return to the land of the Moabites. She was going to worship her gods. She was going to go her way. She was going to leave Naomi whom she loved, but she was going to tread on her own. Can I tell you, friends, this morning, the devil is a liar. And he's lied in the ears of countless of young people today who've been brought up in the things of God. There's a natural love. There's a natural affinity with God's people, with maybe a family member. There's a natural bond in between that mother, that daughter, that mother, that son, that father, that son, that father, that daughter, that sister, that brother, that mother. But friends, this morning, the devil is a liar. There's bread. What is there in Bethlehem? There's Christ. And he's everything and he's more than enough. But the old enemy started to whisper into the ear of Orpah. Orpah, just go home. Just do it your way. Do you know, it's an amazing thing. Listen carefully now. Because Orpah, her name is taken from a Hebrew word that means to be stiff-necked. It means to be stiff-necked. Isn't, that Isn't the Bible amazing? Isn't it an amazing book that by name and by character, you know, we, we met a precious young lady when we went to India first, and she was the nicest wee girl you could ever, her name was Arpa. And she just took the Auntie Nikki and Uncle Tim, that's what they called us, and she was such a, she's a, she's a teacher now in the Christian school in Latour. She was such a precious wee girl. Now she's a married woman. But listen carefully, Orpa, the name, no matter how nice in the exterior you may be, and I'm talking about this young lady, but you know, in that heart, the Bible says that that name, the Hebrew, simply means she was stiff-necked. You see, she was resisting. She was resisting, as Stephen tells us when he preached in Acts 7 and 51, you stiff-necked. And uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist. Listen, you're resisting the Holy Ghost. You're not resisting your parents. You're not resisting your friends. You're not resisting your granny. You're not resisting the church. You're actually resisting the Holy Ghost. You're resisting God. And you're hardening your heart and your neck, as it were, is being stiffened because you believe that your way is the right way. 
You believe that the path that you're on, that that's the path that's going to lead you into what you want. The plans, the purposes, the hopes, the dreams, everything of this life. That there's a world that you need to go and enjoy. And friends, I want to tell you something. This old devil's more subtle than any beast of the field. And in the last days in which we're living, when, it, as it were, all of hell, the mouth of hell has been opened and everything of wickedness has been poured out in the earth, there isn't a more greater day that we should be praying for our young generation that are exposed to the powers of darkness like we have never seen before. I don't say that just to hype it up, but we have never seen this before. We haven't, friends. And Orpah knows that there's a life, there's bread in Bethlehem. But she's stiffened or resisting the Holy Ghost. Resisting the Holy Ghost. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Do you know what that means? It means that they didn't have the ability to hear. They couldn't hear. But then there's Ruth. You see, friends, listen this morning. Maybe there's an orpa here. Maybe there's an orpa here this morning. Listen, maybe there's an orpa. I know that the Lord's speaking to someone, just someone. But there's an orpa in this room. There's an orpa that's standing and there's a point of separation. There's decisions that are going to be made in your life. Listen carefully. You're going to make decisions and you believe it's the right things. Listen, I stand here not as someone who's got it all right, but I could tell you this morning that as a young fella at 16, 17, I wanted to make these decisions that I believe were right, but they brought destruction. I'm not standing here and condemning any person in this room. Listen to someone who's lived that life and, and made those decisions like Orpah that I would stiffen my neck and harden my heart against the things of God. There was a natural affinity of love for my parents who were saved and loved me, but yet there was a heart that was hardened and resisted the Holy Ghost. I wasn't resisting them. I was resisting the Holy Ghost. Started to make those decisions. And you know the devil's so subtle because he'll let you enjoy the pleasures of sin. He'll give you what you want. Listen carefully. It doesn't mean that every one of you are going to end up a drug addict in the, in the gutter. God forbid. But such were some of we and we've been washed and saved by the grace of God. Not everyone's going to end up a drunkard. Not everyone's going to end up a fighter and a hater. But you know God, the devil would give you just a good life. He'll give you the man that you're looking for. He'll give you the house you're looking for. He'll give you the job you're looking for. But he'll condemn your soul forever in a lost eternity. Because he's more subtle. That means that not all of us have been plucked out of a gutter of deep sin and alcoholism and drug addiction or immorality. There's a lot of good living people that think that they're good enough to get into heaven. But all our own righteousness are as filthy rags. And you make those decisions. Young people, you make those decisions. We've all made those choices. Maybe not everyone, but many in this room have made choices and we went out full, but we'll come back empty. I tell you, the devil will strip you of everything. He'll strip you of your dignity. He'll strip you of the purposes of God. He'll strip you of your integrity. He'll strip you of everything. But when you come back, there's mercy. There's mercy in the house of bread. And thank God he clothes us again and takes away. You know what the Lord does? He takes away our shame. That's the wonder of Calvary. But Orpah was going to make a choice. You're making a choice. I feel the labor of the point, if you don't mind. 
I feel the labor of the point. Because there's decisions being made in hearts. There's, there's already even hearts that are resisting the Holy Ghost. Resisting the Spirit of God. Resisting what God is saying. God is speaking into your heart. It's not me as a preacher. It's the Spirit of God that's dealing with your heart. You might become uncomfortable, but that's okay. Friends, I want to tell you something. Listen, this morning in the natural, in the natural, if, if there was a sinkhole in the crossgar road, and, and I was here and I knew it, and you were going out those doors to drive home and turn right in the crossgar road, and there's a sinkhole that you could go into and perish forever. What type of man would I be if I didn't say, Don't go the crossgar road? And yet something much greater than all of that, listen, something much greater than all of that, as a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a hell, friends, there's a bottomless pit, there's a lake of fire. Listen this morning, oh, this might be too heavy, but what type of preacher would I be not to tell you the truth and love that if you make the wrong choice, you could end up there forever and ever and ever and ever. Separation was coming. Do you know there's a great separation? You know, the Bible speaks of a separation. Not, not me. The Bible says that when Christ comes, when Christ comes, there's when Christ comes, not if he comes, when Christ comes. You know, you might have heard that a million times. You might actually be tired of hearing it. Your ears might be so deafened to hearing about it. Your heart might be so hard this morning. It makes no effect upon you. But friends, the preaching of the gospel is the power of God on the salvation and the gospel we'll preach. Listen this morning. Listen to me this morning. When Christ comes, when Christ comes, the signs of the age, the signs of the times, the reality of his coming. We are plunging deeper into a day like Lot and like Noah. We know the reality. We know the day we're in. We see the signs. We've heard it preached faithfully time and time again from many men from this pulpit. Friends, when Christ comes, at that moment there's a separation. Right at that moment. See, this is the truth. It's the truth and love. You see, if I didn't love you, friend, I wouldn't tell you. This is what love is. You know, not that world love. They'll rub your back and they'll encourage you. They'll take you by the hand and they'll trail you into the gutters of sin. But listen, this is true love. Truth. The truth that makes you free. But there was a Ruth. Are you a Ruth or an Orpah? Are you a Ruth or are you an Orpah? Look at Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Your people are my people, and thy God is my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught be death, Part thee and me. And Naomi looked at her and discerned something. When I saw, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking under her. Do you know the name Ruth simply means the friend or a companion? She cleave. Do you know what it means to cleave or to cleave? It means to go hard after. You know what God's looking today, friends? 
We might be in the minority. There might be only a few, but there is a few and there is a remnant across this island of Ireland. There might be only a few of us. There's 7,000. Praise the Lord. Glory to God this morning that have not bowed the knee to Baal. But I want to tell you what God's looking for. He's looking for people that are going to go hard after Jesus. Are you going hard after Jesus? That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people that are going to go hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. Naomi looked and discerned that she was, listen, steadfastly minded on a day that's filled with compromise and a day that's being shaken and a day of lukewarmness and a day in backsliddenness and apostasy and a day of of false teachers and false prophets in a day when there's all the deceiving spirits that have swept into the church of Jesus Christ in a day that nobody stands for anything and falls for everything. Do you know who we need to be? We need to be a people that are steadfastly minded. Are you steadfastly minded? Have you made your mind up? Unmovable. Fully persuaded. She was without wavering. Why? And we've heard it quoted twice this morning. For she knew whom I for I know whom I believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Are you fully persuaded? Are you fully persuaded? Are you are you lukewarm? Are you neither hot nor cold? Are you being swayed with all the land spirits of the day? You know, the Bible says a double-minded man will be unstable in all his ways. Every wind that comes in, they'll run with that. That's what most of the church are doing today. One doctrine comes in or one fancy preacher comes in. We'll run with that one. Then next week, we're running over to this one. And then they're running over to that. And they don't know where they are. They're up, they're down, they're in, they're out. But friends, God's looking at people that are going to go hard after God. Are you going hard after God? Are you going hard after God? Is that your life, friend? Is that what you're about? Are you fully persuaded? Is there a people, I believe there is, that are fully persuaded? Now the song says, my mind's made up and my heart is fixed. I'm going with Jesus all the way. Are you going all the way with Jesus? Or is there an arpa that's sitting resisting the Holy Ghost, hardening their heart, think they're smarter than God? I want to tell you something. You're neither smarter than God, but I'm going to tell you something else. You're not smarter than the devil. You listen to me, you're not smarter than the devil. Oh, you see, at the beginning, it's all fun and games. I tell you, the devil... He's a crafty one. He's subtle as anything. I tell you, friends, when I made those decisions around 16, 17, sorry, the Lord's leading me back into it because someone needs to hear this. Listen carefully. But when I made those decisions, 16, 17, I got my first wee job down in Brown Brothers, £28.50 a week. I thought I was the richest man in the world. When I got those two tenors of five or three coins and a 50p and I looked in that wallet, I was the man. I had made it 28. I mean, that's not that long ago, by the way. But £28.50 a week, and I thought I'd made it, friends. I was sweeping that floor up and down. But you see, then the, then the devil knows what to do because he started to give me more. Within about a year, 
had gone from a from a brush sweeper to the stock keeper to the department manager and I was selling magic trees. Anyone got a magic tree in your car? I used to sell magic trees. You're laughing. Listen, we to tell you something, but the devil knew how to get me because the wages went up. And then if you sold a certain amount of magic trees, it was a national company, Brown Brothers. If you sold enough every month, you'd win prizes. And what do prizes make? That means you go places. And so the next minute at 17, 18, friends, I was traveling over to London to pick up prizes. I was traveling over to Morocco to pick up prizes. I was going to Mallorca, all expenses paid with all these businessmen, all these salesmen. And there's me going along and the devil was saying, here, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you the pleasures of the world. And friends, at that time, I was loving it. I can remember one time where one of 500 pounds had to go to Glasgow to collect it. And they said, listen, this is a promotion thing. They put you in a glass jar and they blew in 500 one pound Scottish notes. And I was giving it this here. <laughs> You've never seen me move like it in all your life. And I was shoving those 500 pound Scottish notes into everything. I said, don't worry, at the end you're going to get 500 pound anyway. It's just a PR thing. I said, I don't care. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> and the devil keeps giving you it. Oh, yes, friends, he keeps feeding it. Boy, I was having the time of my life. Five-star hotels, living it up, going out with all the boys. Listen, there's this wee fella from Beaver, and I was Jack the lad. You see, the devil doesn't tell you the gutter he's going to trill you into. He doesn't tell you the mess he's going to make your life. He's, going to tell, he's not going to tell you about the chains of bondage that he's going to put on your arms and on your legs. He's not going to tell you about the troubled mind that you'll end up with. He's not going to tell you about the brokenness and the tears and the fear and the depths of sin that you'll plunge into. He's not going to tell you, friends, how, you, how deep you'll go into sin and how in bondage and a slave you'll become to it all. He's not going to tell you, no, that's the bright lights for a moment, but I'm going to tell you, friends, there's a stinking horrible pit in the end. Listen carefully, friends. I mean, that's 30 years ago, but I tell you, for all those young ones in here today, I mean this. We talk about it often. I tell you, friends, I am so, so concerned for our young people because of the world that they're living in. Sin, I had to go and find sin. But see, today you don't have to go and search for it. I tell you where it is. Sin's all in that phone. It's all in that internet, friends. And that's plunging young people into self-harm, suicide, and despair. And the devil's behind it all. Make no mistake about it. It's a net, okay? It's a web, And the devil will plunge you down deeper and deeper. Oh, there's a time I hated to be associated with Christians. There was a time I hated the fact that my dad was a pastor. Oh, listen, there was a time, I tell you, every bone in my body would shake. I would cringe beyond cringe. They used to say down in the bar, in the Kimberley Street bar, which Stephen would know and Trevor would know for different reasons. But they used to say down in the Kimberley Street bar, here's the rev coming. The rev! Because my dad was a pastor. I used to kill me. Honestly. I can remember years when my mom and dad started that church. Listen, I know. I know. And they started the church in Beaver. Thank God for it. And then we were all trying. It was a mobile church. It was like the children in the wilderness. They had to set it up every week. Take it down. Clean out the oil hut. The oil beaver pop. Stephen Nixon used to wreck it on a Saturday night. And my dad had to clean it up. Then the Lord saved him. Praise the Lord. 
But you know, we go in, I had the mop it all out and all the vomit, and I was maybe 11 or 12, and then they call into the garage to try and get some cleaning products, and the tambourines were in the boot, and the accordion and everything else, and there's all my mates standing in the garage, and I was sliding down. Can this get any worse? I tell you, friends, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. It makes us what we are. If only, my only regret is that I didn't come to have that encounter with the Lord at about 13, 14, and really know this Christ, not in an intellectual way, but it would drop from my brain into my heart, and I would meet the risen Savior, friend. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And everything that the devil meant for evil, God's turned it around for good. Why? Because all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to the purpose of God. See, I can't live your life. And you can't live my life. But there's one advantage that perhaps I would say humbly to you that I maybe have and others have too. I've lived that. And it's an experience that's real. And I can say to you this morning, and with many others in this room, save yourself. Give a life to him. Live for him. Give him your life. Make your mind up. Live for Jesus. Go hard after the Lord. Go hard and go early. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Can God save a man on his deathbed? Absolutely. Of course he can. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what's wonderful? See, when you're standing over a coffin and a life has been lived for Jesus... A testimony's been left. Victories, triumphs, maybe heartaches and tears at times, but as a testimony of the grace of God, they went hard after the Lord. Listen, young people this morning, may God give our church a passion for young people. They're plummeting deeper and deeper into the darkness. You know it better than us. You young people here know it better than us. Listen, you, some of you might be sleeping. That's okay. But God can open your ear in an instant. God opened my ear in an apartment on the 12th of September, 1993, in, the, in, the, uh, in West London, in a place called Ailing. God opened my ear, hardened my heart, turned from God in a Christian home, and run after that world as hard as I can, find it to be nothing. And the devil had tormented me. And in that room, friends, with all the rolling rock beers and all the cigarettes around me, he Open the ears of this hardened, stiff-necked rebel. And that's what he can do in a moment. I sat in meetings, falling asleep, sliding down the chair, looking up at the ceiling, staring out the window, no expression on my face. You could dance around me a hundred million times. I'd stand there just like a, a corpse standing up. I was perfect. I was good at it. But you see, what I do know is, see beyond the corpse, there's a heart. And God has the ability in a moment to open that heart and speak into that life. Oh, I'm not going to let anyone know that I'm soft. I'm going to tell you something. God can break any one of us. You'll never outsmart God. But listen, you're not going to outwit the devil. He's crafty. Ruth says, I'm going to hold on to this. Ruth says, I've got a steadfast mind. I'm persuaded. Oh, God, I would believe Wesley said it. Give us 10 men that are sold out for God in this way and would take the nation for Jesus. I mean, sold up, sold out. Bridges are burnt. I'm going with him all the way. Give us 10. 
Men that are full of the Holy Ghost. Women that are full of the Holy Ghost. And he's going to guide us. Listen now. Listen carefully. The seasons change. I want you to hear me. This is important. Believer, listen. The seasons change. You hear me this morning. Naomi's gone out full. It's just coming back empty. But I want to tell you now, listen. Because behind every face, there's a heart, there's a life, there's a journey. There's tragedies, there's triumph, there's brokenness. Maybe even someone here this morning, you have come through a season. A season just like Naomi, maybe not in particular. Maybe it hasn't been death, maybe it has been. You know, there has been some tragedies and bereavement. But seasons change. When you live and walk with God long enough, when you live, in, and maybe it's harder when you're young to see it because everything's so at the early stage. But even at that, in life, things happen, don't they? Don't they happen to us all? Tragedy comes. Brokenness comes. Difficulties come. But if you walk with God, you know, it is a true sin. And I, I used to hear it years ago so often from older believers. But now maybe I'm moving into a stage that I'm an older believer. I don't know. But it, you hear it often. How do people get through without the Lord? I mean, that's... How do you get through without the Lord? How do they make it? You know, see, again, sorry, maybe young people, I'm not picking on you this morning. I'm just, I observe things and I do see it. But see young people today. See, when I was growing up, a lot of the things we didn't experience, the life the way you're experiencing it today. Listen, I'll tell you what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it would, when I was growing up, it would take you maybe 40 or 50 years to experience a lot in life. See young people today, they've already lived a life with every type of experience by the time they're 20. Everything's crammed. Now they're experiencing everything. Suicide, self-harm, everything is just plummeting into their young lives. I can remember, I think it was once growing up when my mom's brother-in-law took his own life. That was... You just never heard of that. It was a very rare thing. Not saying it didn't happen, but it was very rare. See, today, all you hear is suicide. Young people are exposed to living a full life, and they've lived every type of experience by the time they're 20. There's seasons that we'll go through. Believer, you go through seasons. Somebody's here this morning, you're going through a season. Maybe not, not dissimilar from Naomi. It's a season where there's been, I feel empty. The experience that I've had, the, 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 what I've gone through, it may not be death, it may be death, it may be bereavement, it may be, but I just feel, all I can say is that I feel empty. I feel that what I've had to deal with, what I'm walking through, I know the Lord loves me, I know he'll never leave me or forsake me, I know all the experiences of that. I'm old enough to know to trust him and to put my faith in him and to keep walking and his grace will be sufficient, but how these things have come into my life, they've left me Empty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I just feel empty because of the experience, the time that I've gone through. Friends, there's seasons. Psalmist says these words, For his anger endures but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but there's joy in the morning. See, a, that's what's, what's it saying there is. There's a, there's a season. 
The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 54 and 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee. It feels, he hasn't. But you know what it feels like? What you're walking through, what you're going. You know the Lord hasn't forsaken. You know that. Because he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. But you're going through a season where it's numb or it's empty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen if you've been there just to keep me right. In case it's only me and then I have to sit down. Somebody else needs to preach. That season where you feel empty. You know the Lord hasn't left you. It seems as though he's forsaken you. But he hasn't. But we're people of feeling, aren't we? It's real. We can feel, where is the Lord? It's so dark. The clouds have rolled in. The storms have come. The winds are blowing. The circumstances are, are too great for I can't actually deal with all of this. I can't deal with it anymore. I know he loves me. I know he died for me. And I hear them preach that. I hear them sing that. But in me, in my life, in my heart, where I am at the minute, it feels as though he's not there. For a small moment, for a small moment, the season, it seems like he's forsaken you. You know what the second line says? But with great mercies, am I going to gather you? The great mercy of the Lord. Ruth simply saying, I'm going hard after the Lord. Tells us there in verse 19 of Ruth 1. So they too went on to the, until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass that they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said, now listen, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. A believer in this room this morning, you're going through a very bitter time. It's a season. Listen to me. It's a season. And the seasons change. Now, he changes them, not us, but he does change them. Don't call me Naomi anymore. You see, behind every face in this room, there, there's a life. There's a real life. There's a heart. There's experiences that maybe I don't know about. You don't know mine. I don't know yours. I know some. But the reality is you've come through some experience in your life and what you're sensing, what you're feeling is Naomi means pleasant, by the way. It's not very pleasant. I don't want you to know me any longer as the, the one that's had a pleasant experience. Actually, it's the opposite. Just call me Mara, by the way, because Mara means bitter. I go through a time or a season now in my life where it's no longer pleasant. Yes, I do love the Lord. I do follow the Lord. I do know he loves me. I believe in a cross. I believe in the blood. I believe that he's my savior. I know he's got my life in the palm of his hand. He'll never leave me or forsake me. But really, here's the reality. And do you know the wondrous thing about the Bible? It's real. Real lives, real testimonies, real stories are not made up. Thank God for it. Amen. It's an open book. And here she said, listen, here's my experience. I want to be, this is not self-pity. It's not poor old me. It's, it's none of those things. It's not trying to get attention. She just said, listen, I want to be real with you. Sometimes we need to be real, don't we? Friends, actually all the time we need to be real. When we come into the house of God, it's so easy to put on the face and say, 
I mean, he's wonderful. An insider brings falling apart. And she says, listen, here's the reality of it. See what I've been through. I know you used to know me as Naomi Pleasant, but it isn't that anymore. It's not that way. I want to tell you about what's happened to me. And please, would you just call me, not Naomi, just call me Mara. Verse 21 says, I went out full. And she says, and the Lord, the Lord has... You see, there's something wonderful about Naomi because everything of what she was going through, the dealings of the Lord, she knew it was him. He was in control. The Lord has brought me home again empty. Don't call me Naomi, saying the Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of, the Moab, of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. And here she says, listen, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Experiences in the journey of life, disappointments. Romans 8 and 28, would you all say it with me nice and loud? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. I'll ask you a question, do you think that God was still working everything for the good? Do you think that you can answer, by the way? How many people believe there were? So even in the bitter experience, even in the darkest of night, even in the valley, even in the despair, even when everything was falling apart, even though she was empty, she knew that everything was working together for good. Everything. Friends, can you say that over every experience that you're going through at the moment? It's not, it's not easy sometimes, sure it's not, because it doesn't look that it is. But can you say that if you're experiencing something, you're going through a bitter experience, you're going through a valley, you're going through a low point, you're going through an empty time, you're going through a time of great difficulty, great despair, bereavement, emptiness, loss, whatever's happening, or how you've been dealt with even amongst God's people, what's taken place in your life, everything of what you've gone through. Can I tell you something? This is what God says. Everything's working together for good to them that love the Lord. Isn't that amazing? How could God possibly turn it? See, I don't know how anyone can go through this life without the Lord. Friends, listen. Your experience, although it might be bitter, there's something really important. I want you to hear this. If you've missed a whole lot, don't miss this part, Christian, this morning. Although your experience might be bitter, like Naomi, but Naomi never became bitter herself. I'm going to say that again because, and I'm saying this, but I want you to hear it. Even though her experience was bitter, but she never became bitter herself. How do I know this? How do you know her heart, Tim? i tell you why I know it. Because I see a woman that's gone through an experience of over 10 years, lost a husband, lost two sons, has been in a foreign land, and there she's coming over the hill towards Bethlehem and said, I'm looking for the Lord because he's delivered bread to his people. She wasn't waving her fist at God. She wasn't blaming God. She wasn't angry at God. Because what she knew is that all things were working together for good to them 
that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You know, friends, weeping might last for a night, but listen to me, joy's coming in the morning. Listen, friends, joy comes in the morning. Even as we're closing, even, now listen, even what the devil has meant for evil. Listen to me now, because it's important. I'm preaching to myself, if you don't mind, for a few moments. You can all go to sleep if you want. But even what the devil has meant for evil, even what the devil has meant for evil, even when it's a direct satanic assault from the pit of hell itself, listen to me this morning, all things work together for good. Now listen, this is so important. I believe this for the church. I believe if we walk with God, if we stick with it, if we endure, I know it's by His grace, but if we go hard after the Lord, I want to talk to you just for a couple of moments. I'm closing. Sorry, you can wake up in a wee second, but I'm closing in a minute. Stay with me now. I'll have to start shouting again. There's a few nodded off, but listen very carefully. Listen. There's a man in the Scripture we know him well. His name's Joseph. We know his life. We know everything about him. We've heard of it. We've done it. We've everything about him. Joseph. We know what happened in his life. His brethren turned on him. His own brethren turned on him. They were brutal with him. They cast him into a pit. They sold him off. They faked his death. I mean, you can't, you wouldn't read this in a a newspaper today, but it's a true story. Cast him into a pit. They faked his death. They had nothing to do with him. He's gone. He's delivered into slavery. We know the story, Potiphar's house. Woman tries to lie with him. He runs, leaves his coat behind, ends up in prison. I mean, this is a testimony of testimonies. And you know what his greatest crime was? He had a heart for God. That was his crime. He had a passion for the Lord. And so we find him in the prison, but then... How many people know that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose? Would you say amen? Yeah. We find him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. I'll read it to you. Joseph's brethren, we see the brethren now, the old man's died, the brethren are before him. God had purposed it all. He's standing in Egypt. God had given him the wisdom what to do and all of those things. And now there's bread in the house. Seven years of emptiness, now seven years full. And now everyone's coming because they're looking. What are they looking for? They're looking bread. Praise the Lord, there's bread in the house. Have you bread in your house, friend? And now the brethren, they know they've done, what do you call it over here? Sorry, but they call it doing a dirty joe on someone. Isn't that right? Maybe that's where it comes from. They've done the dirt on him, and now they know the old man who's protecting him, he's gone. What's Joseph going to do? What's he going to do? I've got them marked. I'll sort them. What's the old saying? I'll get you in the, what's it Stevie? I'll get you in the long grass. All that stuff you hear in the world, you hear that in the bars. You know, you hear that in the church too. And so it says there that they said, the brethren, Joseph will peradventure hate us and certainly requite us of all the evil that we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, 
And now we pray, forgive the trespass of the servants of the, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept. Listen, friends, this, this is a man after God. Listen to me, friends. See people standing, waiting. You're, you're, you've done me wrong. I'm waiting. You crawl out and down that aisle there. And I'll just see whether I'm going to forgive you or not. I want to tell you, friends, that's a different spirit altogether. See, when you whip yourself a hundred times, I want to forgive you. You can crawl up and kiss my feet first and then with your friends because you've done me wrong. You know what Joseph did? He began to weep. We really want to see, we're talking about the body being healed. We really want to see it. I tell you, this type of forgiveness is going to have to flow through the whole body of Christ. You want to see revival? I tell you what it's going to be, friend, what it's going to look like. You're going to see such a spirit of forgiveness and humility that will surge through the body of Christ. And what will happen to her? She'll stand up on her feet as a mighty army. And Joseph wept, and his brethren also went down, fell before his face, and said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, listen to this, Fear not. I mean, we want that heart, don't we? Fear not. For I am, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God's meant it for good, to bring to pass, as he said this day, what for? To save much people. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you, your little ones. And he comforted them, and he speak, he spake kindly towards them. Here's the spirit of Christ on Joseph in that Old Testament. Listen, everything, you had to go through 13 years, but everything of what the devil meant for evil, what was about to happen? God was about to all for good. But I tell you, friends, we're going to do a season. The church is being shaken. It's riddled with schisms and division. There's a lot of hurt people in the body of Christ. A lot of bitter experiences that people have gone through. I want to tell you something this morning. Stick with Jesus. Go hard after the Lord. Be steadfastly minded. Because listen to this. God's going to turn everything around for good. For your good and for his glory. God's not finished yet. He's only just begun. Because there's going to be a mighty harvest. And a victorious church that he's coming for. Saints. The weeping may last for a wee moment, but praise the Lord. Would you say amen? The joy is coming in. Would you say this verse when we close? For I know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Let's stand together this morning.